I invite you now to open a Bible to Psalm 41. As a church family, we have been uh, working through the Psalms, one Psalm a Sunday, and so here we are, the second Sunday of October, the 41st Sunday of 2023, and we're reading Psalm 41. Uh, Some of you in your Bibles will also have a notation that this is the last psalm in a book, uh, that the final editors of the psalms arranged them in such a way that there are five books that then make up the 150 psalms. And so coming to Psalm 41, we are coming to the end of the first book of the psalms. And this is what it reads. Blessed is the one who considers the poor, In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words. And while his heart gathers iniquity, when he goes out, he tells it abroad. And all who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you will delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. And amen. And so that concludes uh, Psalm 41 and the first book of the Psalms. This opening phrase, blessed is the one who considers the poor. Blessed is the one who gives careful thought and attention with a desire for action and to aid and assist the poor is a way we could sort of expand that first verse. But Jesus expands it even further by telling a story that if we were to ask ourselves, well, what would it look like to consider the poor? Uh, Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke an amazing story that I invite you to turn to uh, if you haven't put your Bible away, and if you have, you can pull it back out. Hopefully it's not far away. But Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells a story somebody who uniquely considers a poor person in front of him. And we'll begin reading in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. If you're using a Bible there in the pew, this is on page 816. And it reads, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. 
But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to him who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So here's a story, a simple story, where Jesus is contrasting different responses to someone who has had poverty come upon him. An ordinary man, we don't know much about him. Jesus doesn't elaborate, just sort of anyone, it could have been anyone, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and gets robbed and beaten and then left. And the Samaritan that we learn about is not the only person who sees him. Other people see him, but they see him just enough to say to themselves, I want nothing to do with this situation. And so I want to go around this situation and ignore what is taking place. And Jesus highlights that these two people are people that otherwise should have known better, otherwise had the responsibility of teaching the law to the nation of Israel. But here they are, when somebody is hurting in front of them, find a reason to not look closely, but to see just enough to get out of the way and move on about their day. But the Samaritan sees or considers the poor person in a deeper light, considers them to the point of having compassion on them. And the compassion is not just with words, but the compassion follows up with actions, with this tending to him in direct care and then getting him to a safe place and then generously giving of money so that when he now has to go somebody else can keep caring for him and then the promise that if that isn't even enough he'll come back later and make sure there's even more that would be paid to take care of this particularly poor man and so Jesus asks Uh, those who are gathered who was the neighbor and the response uh, is insightful the one who showed him mercy there was no obligation all three people that walked by could have just as much said i'm not guilty of this i didn't do this i wasn't one of the robbers and that's part of what the first two uh, said to themselves in order to move on and the third one for whom it was equally as true could say, yes, I am not guilty of this. I didn't cause this, but this person is hurting. So I'm not just thinking about myself in this scenario. I'm looking at them, and I'm saying, what do they need in this moment when hard times have come upon them? 
They need somebody who will show them mercy, somebody who will go out of their way to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. And so going back to Psalm 41, I submit to you another way we could translate the first verse is, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed is the one who is merciful. Blessed is the one who considers the poor in such a way that they don't run from it, they don't ignore it, they give it time, thought, and attention with a desire then for action to actually help those who are poor, to do something for them. And this is only in this first book of the Psalms, the third Psalm to begin with this, this phrase of blessed are the. Uh, Psalm 1 opened with blessed are those who do not follow the way of the wicked, but who delight in the law of the Lord. Psalm 32, blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. And now Psalm 41, blessed are those who are merciful. And I believe they go together that those who really study the law know that one, they don't themselves measure up to it perfectly. And they're blessed when they know that God provides forgiveness for them. And they know that they're blessed when they extend mercy to those who do not deserve it. That you're really getting what you're supposed to get out of the study of the law when you're drawn to a place where you recognize that there is blessing in the forgiveness of your own sins and there is blessing in the opportunities you have to serve other people. To not think about yourself, but to actually help them for what they need. Most of us, our natural default is selfishness. (laughs) To get more of what we want out of life rather than to think of the needs around us. Um, Recently, uh, so it's a new rhythm for us. We had uh, homeschooled all of our kids up until now this year, and now our oldest is in school, uh, in middle school at fifth grade uh, for the first time. So I have a new rhythm every morning of having to pack lunch. Uh, I never had to pack lunch at 6.30 in the morning uh, up until now, and so now I have to, at 6.30, think about 12.30 and what might still taste good or look good uh, and stuff. And so I think I've learned it reasonably well, and it's, it's coming together. But I was given a gift of uh, some cookies that were like a perfect small size that I thought would just, one, they'd fit in the container that we have for uh, Levi's lunch box. And so I was giving him two of these cookies that were from Croatia. They're like thin little wafers with a little bit of vanilla and a little bit of chocolate. They don't make a ton of mess, and they're kind of light to eat. And so I was giving him two of those uh, each day. And plenty of times, like he'd come home, and his whole lunch wouldn't be eaten. But you know what was always eaten. The cookies were always eaten. Like there might have been half of a sandwich left or half of the fruit left or half, but somehow there was always enough time to eat the dessert. Well, then at one point, he's like, uh, could I get a third cookie? And I just, I pretty quickly went to, are you kidding me? Like, we're still working on eating everything you're supposed to eat, and here you are asking for something else for yourself. And then he says, yeah, because I, I sit with two friends now every day, and I can only give them each a half a cookie. And I was like, what? He says, yeah, I give them each a half a cookie, and so I have one. So if you gave me a third one, then we could each all have one. And then I felt immediately rebuked because 
my thought was, you're asking for this because you want something out of this. You want more of something. It wasn't even on my radar that you want more because you want to give more. And now there's a fourth guy that sits at the table. So now there's four cookies in his lunch every day so that each of them get one. But that's the kind of thing that in my heart, when I heard that there was this desire to do that, yeah, there is a blessing in sharing the good things that we are given. And so back to Psalm 41, uh, if we're just taking what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's point number two. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. David says, blessed is the one who considers the poor, for in the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. He's not talking about the poor anymore. He's talking about the blessed one who considers the poor. And everything else he says in the next uh, three verses. So the one who lives his life full of mercy toward others will, when they face a day of trouble, find themselves delivered. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. He's called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. So one, it also highlights for us that even in living according to God's will and loving his law and the blessing of forgiveness and in extending mercy, this psalm is saying we will still experience all of these things. And so this isn't a, a transaction that if we do these things, then what God promises is that we'll never go through hard times. No, even the blessed one will experience a day of trouble, will experience enemies around them, will be in a sick bed and struggling with illness. This will still come upon them. And this is part of why Jesus told the story the way he did. All throughout scripture is, a, is an awareness that hard times can come upon any of us almost instantly. Catastrophe could happen to anybody. So we should never look at anybody and think, oh, they have so much money or they have so many friends or they have so much this that they're just never gonna go through anything difficult. We, we have many people in scripture who had raised their hands like Job, like Naomi, uh, and others who would say, if you don't think times can get hard, let me, let me tell you about how times can get hard, how you can experience trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And so those times of trouble can come. And so every one of us, no matter how smart we think we are or how well we've saved or provided for ourselves or for others, we will all be in a position at times where we need the mercy of other people in our lives. We need them to be gracious to us. Like hopefully we've been gracious to other people. And so we will need to receive mercy. We will need to be open ourselves to the generosity of other people toward us. And there's something about our pride that one, can be very selfish and only want things for ourselves, but also in pride, can resist being open and honest about our needs in asking people for help and in inviting people in to take care of us and just to acknowledge we need mercy right now. We need kindness from other people. And David in his prayer is confident that mercy will be received, but then he still goes on to pray for it in verse four. As for me, I said to the Lord, O Lord, be gracious to me and heal me, for I have sinned against you. 
And so here, David is acknowledging what he is asking from God is that God be merciful. He's not saying, because I've been merciful, I've earned the right to receive mercy. No, no, no. I, I want to experience the blessing of being merciful. And receiving it myself is still acknowledging I don't deserve it. I'm not demanding it. You can't demand somebody forgive you. You can't demand somebody be merciful to you. It has to come freely from them as they choose to, in terms of translating mercy, to treat you better than you deserve. To be kind to you when maybe you deserve a harsh word back. To be gracious and generous to you when you've maybe squandered uh, what it was that you were already given. That's what it means to receive mercy. Nobody's ever obligated to give it to us, but we will all need it the kindness of strangers who don't simply treat us based on what we've earned but who treat us according to their gift and then what the rest of the psalm contrasts is as he's longing for this <clears throat> mercy to come from God he's describing the, the mercilessness of the people around him they see him struggling and they want to add to his struggles they see his weakness and they want to take advantage of his weakness and that's part of what has David crying out. He knows he's vulnerable. He knows he's guilty. But there's other people around him who then are waiting for him to be gone, waiting for him to experience the fullness of that punishment. He even says in verse 9, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And here again, part of what is coming out is... Uh, in ancient Israel, many times when you received a sickness, it wasn't thought of in the same way like we might today to say, oh, do you have a virus or is there a bacteria? Uh, but rather, why is God punishing you? What did you do wrong that you're feeling this way? And so not, not just enemies would wonder what was going on, but even sometimes people who walked closely with you might say, well, what did you do, and what is God doing to you? And maybe I should get a few steps further away from you uh, because this is happening to you. And so David experienced an incredible isolation and a lack of mercy from the people around him. Uh, at home this morning, two of our younger kids are coughing, and so they're not here today, and so they were uh, reading uh, Psalm 41 together and just in the reading of it out loud uh, our middle son was like wait a minute is this David writing or is this Jesus talking as he was describing then the being betrayed by somebody close to him I said well that's a really insightful question but yes this is David writing many many generations before Jesus but we call Jesus the son of David because biologically he's connected to him but also because many of the Psalms and what we hear is what Jesus himself experienced. That in his time of suffering, one, his close confidant in Judas, who was one of the disciples, betrayed him. Uh, as even those closer to him, like Peter, saw what was happening to him, they were afraid to associate with him. And said, no, 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 I don't know him, or I'm not, I'm not one of his followers. And he experienced an even greater isolation as his own friends when judgment was coming upon him then left him, deserted him, or in fact betrayed him. And they did not respond to him with mercy, with grace. 
And so as David is experiencing this in his own life, he then cries out, O Lord, that you be gracious to me and raise me up. When everyone else has let me down, will you uphold me and sustain me? And so in the first few verses, he confidently expressed that God would do this. Then he openly acknowledged that it's not what he was presently feeling, and so he still prayed for it. And so though he had confidence that God would do it, it did not prevent him from openly saying and asking God to do what he believed he would do, to ask him to fulfill his promise. And that's a good reminder for us as well. We can't take the things that we know about God as an excuse to then say, well, I don't even really need to pray about that. I don't even really need to be open about it. And so then we become passive or quiet rather than allowing what we know about God and believe about him to cause us to then bring our needs before him and to be open and honest with other people about them when they come. And then the last thing we hear is David is so confident that he ends, though he's going through such hard times, ultimately with a benediction. In verse 13, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And if you then take the end of this book of the Psalms with all of them, one of the ways that you discover that you're at the end of one of the books, if it isn't marked for you, is the way in which this benediction comes about. Uh, so the, the last psalm in each book, I'll just go through this quickly. I won't ask you to turn there, but Psalm 41, 72, 89, and 106. This is how they read. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Psalm 72. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Psalm 89, 52, blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen. Psalm 106, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say amen and praise the Lord. And then the way the book of Psalms ends is with the last four Psalms all being a bless the Lord, praise the Lord, uh, all of his creation. And part of what we're blessing God for when we especially come to Psalm 41 is that we acknowledge that he's the most merciful one. Blessed is our merciful God. And he has been revealed as the merciful God from the very beginning. This isn't something that we come to know about him only in the New Testament because of Jesus, but this is actually how the children of Israel have understood him from the beginning. In Exodus chapter 34, in verse 6, Moses has given the Ten Commandments. The people have uh, been rebellious, and he's actually had to uh, make new tablets of them in his frustration over them. But then he reminds them of who God is and why it is that he can be trusted in Exodus 34. This is picking it up in verse 4. It says, So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and 
and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious. The first descriptive word about him, that he's merciful. For the children of Israel in their uh, worship, uh, what they had inside of the temple as a representation of God's presence was then within the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, and then on the top of the Ark, a space left with no image on it that was named the Mercy Seat. What should we call the place where God's presence dwells? The Mercy Seat. He is the merciful God who is gracious and slow to anger. His presence among us is a reflection of his mercy. And it's because of that mercy that he sent his son for each and every one of us. Because if he wasn't already merciful and already willing to treat us better than we deserve, then he never would have sent Jesus to suffer for our sins, to set us free. And so we are blessed as we consider the poor and hurting because our God, as Mark opened our worship this morning, uh, quoting from Psalm 102, he is the one who first looked down upon us. And in our weakness, in our sin, in our suffering, he had mercy for us. And in his mercy, he's given himself to each and every one of us. And so we should be able to say like David, may he be blessed he the one who's been merciful from everlasting to everlasting amen and amen let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your word and its reminder that there is a a goodness not in running from those who are hurting not in running from those who are weak and in pain but in allowing you to move us to action to be an extension of your grace and goodness and mercy and to bring healing and health and wholeness and restoration to those who are hurting. We thank you that you do that for each and every one of us, that you are the one who is our shepherd, who leads us by your voice and who guides us by your wisdom who restores us by your grace. Uh, We grieve that in your own suffering for us, that you were surrounded by enemies, that those close to you, even themselves, uh, deserted you. But we thank you that you continued in your Father's plan so that we could know mercy uh, in a way that just humbles us beyond words that we acknowledge that you are God that you are glorious that you are worthy of all praise from everlasting to everlasting and we pray that you would help us to become more like you to trust you in our own obedience that that real blessing is found in loving other people like you love us we pray this in Jesus name Amen.